Hi, I'm Lauren Burdett, and you're listening to Life as Spiritual Practice, a podcast where we explore what it's like to experience ordinary aspects of life as ways to connect with the divine. If you are feeling stuck in your spiritual journey, this might be the inspiration you're looking for. You'll notice in our conversation moments of pause, silence, as we listen for where the conversation could go next. I invite you to receive those moments of silence as a chance to notice what our conversation is starting up for you. What are you noticing? I'm delighted to introduce my conversation partner today, Chichi Agoram. Chichi is a mental health therapist and an Enneagram teacher whose life work is to help people feel less alone and more known and to create and foster spaces that increase connection and compassion in an increasingly divided world. Pichi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so curious to explore with you the Enneagram and your experience with it um, as a gateway to connection. I thought it might be helpful to start with, if you could say a little bit about what is the Enneagram? We have listeners who who aren't familiar with it. Absolutely. Um, So the Enneagram is a system that has existed since, as far as we know, since the 13th century. It's an ancient um, typing system that kind of explores nine different type structures um, that show different core motivations, um, different basic desires and basic fears. And the idea is that all of us kind of have one of those, uh, one of the nine type structures as our home base, where we kind of operate out of uh, on autopilot. And what the Enneagram does is it helps us become more aware of kind of our patterns, our habits, our shadow sides, um, the ways in which we believe that we can only survive through the story that one of those nine type structures tells us um, about who we need to be in the world. And it gives us choice. We become more aware um, of habits and patterns and therefore become less um, identified with those patterns and have more options, more choice to say, do I want to do the thing I've always done or do I want to try something new? Um, And so in that way, I love the Enneagram in the sense that, well, for many reasons, but I think it definitely increases um, self-awareness, other awareness, and then um, increases our ability to choose and not just kind of be run by our habits and our patterns, uh, which is really empowering and allows us to be more present in our, within ourselves and in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. I hear in that, that, oh, that we don't know what we don't know, right? And so mm. we don't know with, um, with our personality types, what's driving us, what are the underlying fears, um, motivations. And so the Enneagram is a tool to, I heard you say, to, to greater awareness, which has been empowering. Absolutely. And I think one of the things you know, it's a, it's a nice thought. So most of us think that we are mostly motivated and driven by what we 
desire and what we want. But I think in reality, for a lot of us, we're driven by what we fear and we structure our lives around avoiding the things that we are most afraid of, um, even though we can talk about that as, um, you know, kind of like, no, this is what I'm moving towards. But usually it's because we're trying to move away from some core fears. And um, the Enneagram really helps us see that with, with each of the nine type structures. This is the core fear that um, fuels a lot of this behavior we see up at the surface. And a lot of the work is moving towards the things that scare us, realizing that um, the lie that the type structure tells that life is binary, you're either this or you're that. And if you're the the bad thing or the wrong thing, then these terrible things happen and you lose belonging and love and worth, that that's not actually true. And the movement towards the things that scare us um, frees us from that, that pattern of thinking that we have to be one way in order to be okay. We learn that we can hold both the fear um, and the desire and the hope and still have love and worth and security. And often we don't even know what the fear is. Right. Um, which is one of the, you know, the reasons why um, I find the Enneagram so helpful because it really does um, distill those fears down for each of the nine types. So it's, a, it's very clear, um, you know, that whatever your home base is, this is the fear underneath um, some of the behaviors. And of course, it looks different from person to person because we all have our own individual experiences and societal influences and all of that. But at the end of the day, there, there are still those commonalities around, oh, this is the thing um, that is really driving, driving me um, to look for this or to avoid this or all of that. So how did you find the Enneagram? Um, I was introduced to it about four or five years ago in grad school. A friend mentioned it, um, and I at first was a little confused by the diagram, and <laughs> it's, it seemed a little out there and weird, and um, at the time, I was very into the Myers-Briggs. I was, I was getting my master's in clinical counseling, and... Um, I wasn't really interested, but over the course of like, I think the year following, year and a half following, it felt like the Enneagram was pursuing me. Um, it kept coming up mm -hmm. in conversations and lots of different places. And then another friend who I respect um, had just begun her training with the narrative Enneagram, um, which is one of the, the, the schools within the U.S. that trains uh, Enneagram teachers. And so we were talking about it and I thought, okay, I've heard about this for so long. I should give this a try. And it helps that I was finally done with grad school. So I had some, <laughs> some time to do, to do reading for fun. And, um, and so I, I started exploring it and it felt um, not immediately life-changing, honestly, because I, the way that it was presented at first in the circles I was around wasn't super helpful. Um, it was based, the conversations were based most on behaviors and behavioral tendencies, which really the Enneagram doesn't really, I mean, we talk about behavior, but really 
we're looking at core motivation where two people can act in very similar ways but are motivated by very different things. And unfortunately, in the first conversations I had around the Enneagram, a lot of it was focused on the, you know, if you're this type, you act this way. And I'm a person who has significant levels of anxiety. Um, and so the way that it was talked about, it was like, oh, well, if you have anxiety, you're a six. So I originally typed as a six. Um, and so for a little bit, I felt like, well, I don't think this thing works. I don't think the system works because... It just, I mean, there are parts of this that make sense, but a lot of it doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel true to me. Um, and so I, I kind of wrestled with that for a few months. And then with my friend, Annie Diamond, um, we, in, in talking about that and in, in reading other books that she had suggested, I realized, oh, I mistyped. And she did a typing interview with me. Um, and I found out like, I, that I thought the system didn't work because I wasn't really in my home base. And once I found my home base, I was like, oh, well, there it is. There's all my stuff. So, um, and one of the things, you know, like in, in working with the Enneagram, when I'm teaching it or working with people one-on-one, -on -one, um, there's usually the common experience of once you've found your home base, you know kind of by how uncomfortable it is or how much you don't want to be that type. It's like anything but this one, please. Um, which is usually because it's like someone holding up a mirror to us through our shadows, shadow selves. And, um, so yeah, I got, I got, uh, really intrigued by it at that point and really dove into learning about it. I got trained with the narrative Enneagram and did the teacher and practitioner training with them. And it's one of the, um, core components of the narrative tradition is that we really prioritize storytelling, which I love in the sense that each person's uh, unique experience of type is so different. It's, you know, if we think about them as colors, uh, if a type is the color red, there are so many shades within that. And rather than me as the quote unquote Enneagram expert telling you about who you are, um, I listen to you talk about who you are and we explore that together um, because really it's a, it's a constant journey of um, self-observation. And so that's how we want to invite people into the process at first is through um, building the skills to be able to observe your, your own self in your patterns and your habits. Um, Cause that's where we, we learn to change. Um, so I have loved being in the narrative tradition and learning it through that lens. And um, yeah, I think you asked how I got involved in it. <laughs> so yeah. that's, I think that's the answer is um, through, through a bunch of different means and through feeling like it was kind of pursuing me and then lots of reading and then getting involved with the narrative tradition and getting trained to teach it. You, uh, you, you said when you found your home base that um, well, that for all of us, that there's often a moment of, I've heard it described as shame. You, know, when you realize that, oh, this is what I am. <laughs> um, not, you know, you said not that. And I'm curious for you, um, what happens after that moment? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so... I think a lot of this is dependent on how the Enneagram was introduced to a person. 
how you're taught about it um, because that can greatly influence what happens after. Um, when it is presented in a way that doesn't prioritize compassion, uh, it could very much lead to a feeling of being exposed, a feeling of shame. Um, but the hope is that, so for me at least, you know, it was like, ugh, those are the things I don't want to be. <laughs> so, but because I was, it was taught to me as a system that helps deepen compassion for myself, the goal is to be able to hold all those parts that I initially was like grossed out by mm. with a little bit of kindness and a little bit of compassion. Um, my first instinct was like, I don't want anybody to know what type I am because they can't know. Like, I'm working so hard to present an image that's none of these things <laughs> that are true of me, but I don't want anyone to know and I don't want anyone to see it. Um, but honestly, for me, one of the first things that came, out, came after the I don't like that was a deep sense of relief that it wasn't just me. Because um, I think for so long prior to learning about the Enneagram and, and learning about myself through that lens, there was a lot of that shadow stuff that I just thought was my problem, you know, like my, and it is my stuff, but I felt isolated in it. Mm -hmm. And in learning about, I don't, I don't know if I said, uh, I'm a, I'm a four, I lead with type four in the Enneagram. And in learning about that, I was like, honestly, deeply relieved that it wasn't just me, that I wasn't, you know, everybody else, because, you know, the lie that my type structure tells is that everyone else is um, inherently worthy of belonging and they all have they all have whatever it is that makes them good enough to be loved and that somehow I am too flawed to be a part of that circle and I'm missing those things but then in learning about my type structure I was like I'm not the only one who feels this way mm. Whew, thank god <laughs> um, and in some ways it made me feel more connected to be or yeah, more connected um, to have belonging to a tribe of people who feel similarly, um, even though it's not true, you know, of our identities, but that there is that sense that um, this struggle is not just mine. And then learning to hold that with compassion of where did the story come from? This wasn't born out of nothing. There were experiences I internalized to mean those things um, and learning how to hold that with compassion and kindness um, for myself. Um, I think also really what helped, you know, in the next steps after that, I don't know if everybody goes through this process in the same way, but I am just naturally a very curious person and I have always been observing people since I was a kid. Um, so I didn't just want to know about my type. I wanted to know about all the types. And I think in learning about myself as a four, but then learning about the other eight numbers, it was just this growing compassion, um, both for myself and for other people, this sense of, oh, we're all just trying to figure it out. This whole time I've idealized so many different kinds of people thinking they had it all together and none of us do. And that's both relieving and allows me to have so much more compassion because my struggle might be different from yours, but in some ways, we both are struggling. And how do we help support each other rather than idealize or tear down each other? Um, and that really has still been one of the biggest gifts that the Enneagram has given me.
um, both for my relationship with myself and my relationship with other people. Mm. Very empowering to, to be invited into compassion for all around you and that sense of moving from thinking that there are people who have it all together um, to a sense of that sense of connection and something I then feel in that is and so I can take action you know I don't need to wait for the people who have it all together yes yes absolutely and I can take action both for myself, like I can show up for myself and I can show up for those people in a different way than mm -hmm. in, the, in the way where I had shown up previously, um, putting so much effort into trying to keep my own crap under control so that the people I thought had it all together wouldn't know and would accept me. Um, there's more courage to show up truly as I am and the real vulnerability of that when I remember that in some way we're all struggling and, and we all need compassion and grace and tenderness. You said a couple times that the Enneagram helps you practice compassion for yourself. Can you share a bit about how you engage in that practice? Yeah. Um, well, that word that you used, I think, is pretty key. It is a practice. It's an ongoing mm -hmm. practice. Um, but I think that for me, Again, starting with the, the awareness, like a deeper awareness and understanding of who I am and my patterns and my habits and really what fuels that um, was like the beginning of compassion for me because I was looking at myself um, rather than looking at um, the image of myself I thought other people saw or that I wanted other people to see. Um, and I think some of my practice with self-compassion is, um, this is one of, one of these practices is borrowed from one of my teachers in the narrative tradition, um, Renee Rosario, who I think this is also a practice she learned from one of her teachers, but it is, um, she calls it the of course practice. So when I see myself, when I notice myself stuck again in those same patterns and habits, um, even though my head is like, you know better, uh, my practice is to stop and pause and say, of course, of course I'm here again. Of course, mm -hmm. this makes sense. Um, rather than shaming, rather than beating myself up, you know better, um, you should blah, blah, blah. Pausing and first offering the, of course, this makes sense that we're here again, of course. And then what do I need? And for me, it's also been helpful to picture myself because um, we learn these, you know, we build up these structures and these habits when we're kids. Um, we experience, we all experience varying degrees of pain and suffering and um, varying degrees of trauma. And then we learn how to kind of armor ourselves up against further pain in nine different ways. And so for me, it's helpful to picture my little self. I've been doing a lot of, um, inner child reparenting work and um, it helps me to picture little Chi Chi and um, rather than adult Chi Chi saying to myself you should know better I picture myself talking to my little girl self mm -hmm. and asking 
what do you need? Of course, this is hard. What do you need? Um, I'm with you as opposed to get it together. Um, and that has really helped me um, keep showing up for myself with compassion um, and remembering, I think, what's been helpful for me also with, with the Enneagram. I think people have this understanding or this idea that when you, when you come to working with the Enneagram and you learn about your type and um, really work on like growth and development and all that, then you get to a point where you're good. I no longer struggle with all these things. And those things were like, you know, they're now behind me. Um, I'm fully integrated and fully present all the time. And that's not true for anybody. Um, and I think what's really been helpful for me in the practice of compassion, both for myself and for other people, is remembering that this is a continuous process. It's a continuous practice. And I'm never not going to have these struggles. Mm. All that's going to... All that's going to change is that I am going to, I'm building up the ability to uh, be more aware and therefore have more choice. It doesn't mean that the struggles go away. It just means that hopefully today I am a lot better than I was two years ago at seeing, at catching the pattern in action. And hopefully in 10 years, I will be even better at catching the pattern in action. Um, the goal is not that in 10 years, the pattern won't exist because that's not realistic and not true um which is why compassion is so huge because otherwise i'm holding myself to a standard that is unrealistic and leads to more shame and with compassion i can be present with the the version of myself who's trying really hard um and still getting stuck and saying to her of course you are <laughs> this is a hard pattern to break out of what do you need right now yeah, that there's no arrival that is not a mountaintop that you're climbing and trying to reach the peak of. Right. I get frustrated with that with the spiritual life as well, because I think it's often talked about as um, as a point of arrival as, well, if you do this, then you will be integrated, then you will be peaceful, then you will be centered and the reality is that it's a journey and that we reach these, you know, points of centeredness or point of peace and, and we keep going and we, we cycle back to the same places. And that's exactly as it should be. And I hear that with the Enneagram as well, that it's, it's not about arrival and it's not about learning it to fix things, that it's about gaining the tools to grow in awareness when the patterns resurface, because the patterns will resurface. Right. And really, that's the beauty. I see it as like the beauty of our humanity. That's what it means to be human. And so if I hit, you know, if there was a, if there was an arrival point, um, what do we do then? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and part of the part of the beauty of becoming human is learning to accept the ways in which we are flawed, the ways in which we get stuck. Um, that's in, in the narrative tradition, we talk about the universal growth process, which is five, um, five A's. Um, the first being awareness and then um, 
allowing or accepting is the second. And then um, appreciation is the third. Action is the fourth. And the fifth is adherence. And that, that allowing or accepting piece, I think, is so huge. We build the awareness, but then we also step into the process of learning to allow um, ourselves to be human, learning to accept mm-hmm. our humanity rather than trying to uh, fix or get rid of or become superhuman or non-human. Um, a lot of the ways that I get stuck as a person and as a four are the ways in which I am deeply human. And my work is to accept those without shaming myself for them, to offer compassion, because it's really in the acceptance that we loosen the patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we're trying so hard to not be those things, we actually, we become more trapped in the pattern because that's all we see. That's all I see when I'm trying not to be the things that are true of my type structure. Um, but when I accept and allow myself to be human, there's actually more space to choose and there's more space to see a wider picture than just what I think makes me flawed. Because um, that's the reality for all of us. We, we are all flawed and still worthy of love and belonging. That is to be human rather than fighting for something else. Which is that deepening in compassion I love that practice, both the phrase, of course, and the gentleness that that holds, and the picturing of your childlike self, because that makes sense to me, that it would be easier to have compassion for, uh, for our child self instead of for our grown-up self, who we expect to have it all together. And there's just so much, I mean, generally, I know that there are always exceptions, but generally, people tend to have a more tender approach with kids than they do with adults. You know, we have this idea that like, okay, you've reached this age, you should know better and make no more mistakes. But with the kid, you're like, man, you're just figuring it out. It's okay. You don't have to know everything right now. And that's really the same thing we need to offer to our adult selves. And so for me, that picture of like, how would I approach this with the kid right now? You know, I would, I would get on their level, I'd sit on the floor and say, it's okay. What do you need? I'm here. Um, How can I give myself that? Chi-Chi, I'm curious. Are there themes in what you usually need when you ask yourself that question? Yeah. um, I know that usually what I need is that um, curiosity with kindness. That is one of the things I in my experience or my memories of my childhood didn't feel like I got a lot of um, from adults. Um, That kind of nurturing, paying attention to what's happening without trying to fix it, without trying to turn it into a task, without judging it. Um, Just saying, tell me more. And a lot of times that's still what I need is, you know, to give myself, you know, and from other people in relationships, but just that, that kind curiosity of tell me more about that. Tell me where it hurts as opposed to a lot of what I heard as a child was you're being too sensitive or it hurts for everybody. Like get over it. Mm. Um, So a lot, I think really most of what I need a lot of the time is just, that pausing and saying, tell me where it hurts. Tell me more about that. Mm. And usually 
I find, so this is, this is both from the, the Enneagram and then um, just also from my work as a therapist, but in the, in the narrative Enneagram, we really explore the three, kind of like the three branches um, of the system. Uh, one being psychology, so the, what we've been talking about, the awareness of habit, the awareness of patterns um, and type structure. And then uh, spirituality is the second one which really is just the, the capacity to be receptive to something outside of yourself, to something that um, is bigger than you, that holds you, whatever that is for you, whatever tradition or non-tradition um, that that fits into. But rather than us thinking of ourselves and our type structures as the center of the universe and the only, the only thing, um, the receptivity that allows us to soften and, and then change, um, and then the third piece being somatic. So body work and all of our patterns and our type structures are stored in our bodies. So we can know a lot in our heads about this is what it means. You know, this is what the, the, the pattern of a four looks like. And I can just know that cerebrally. But until I begin to notice how those patterns actually show up in my body day to day, moment by moment, no real change occurs because it's just still a thought in my head. It's, it's just an idea in my head. And so usually with pausing and asking myself what I need, I am not asking my head, I'm asking my body. I'm, I'm being present with, with mm -hmm. myself and then checking in with, what do I need? What does my body need in this moment? And then listening. And, and that answer you know, varies based on the day and the situation and the issue. Um, sometimes really it's just attention. Most of the time it's just attention. It's just my body saying, I just want to do to pay attention and validate that there is some pain here or there is some anxiety here or there is, you know, um, and just with paying attention, it soothes it. Some other times there's a real, or there's another need underneath that. Um, I need to talk to this person or I need to go to bed earlier because I'm exhausted or I need to, you know, there there can be multiple things, but for me, the first need is that pausing and saying, okay, I'm listening. What do you need? Tell me more. That somatic piece has been so helpful to me to understand. It's been one of the most helpful pieces to me in our work together, Chi Chi, as you have helped me to understand what my type structure feels like in my body as a four also a four. Um, and that has helped me to slow down, to be more compassionate with myself, and also to not spin out on stories, to not get swirled up in the stories I can tell myself, but to just pause and notice. Yeah, I think that slowing down piece in the the, the connection with the body, I think, is, is something that's really not talked about or emphasized a lot in a lot of conversations around Enneagram, which makes sense because we live in a society that prioritizes the head center of intelligence. So it's more about gathering information and knowing and understanding, but all in the head center. And we tend to devalue or not place as much value on the wisdom of the body and I think our bodies are so incredibly amazing and fascinating and hold so much power and wisdom and 
that's one of the things I've loved about working with the Enneagram and learning about the Enneagram is the ways in which it has helped me connect to um, reconnect to my body and also reconnect to the experience of the divine within my body mm. um, rather than in the traditions that I was raised in believing that the divine was only external. I was just inherently bad um, and worthless and I needed this external thing to um, make me better. Um, I think in the process of reconnecting with my body and slowing down, realizing that multiple things can exist within me at once. The lies that my type structure tells exist within me. And now I've, I've learned to notice that they mostly, I can tell when I'm living or operating out of my ego, out of autopilot, because of the way my chest and my upper body feels. And I've learned that within my body, when I drop into my belly center or my gut center, and I stay there long enough, I can usually reconnect to wisdom and reconnect to what is true underneath the lies that my type structure tells me. So rather than like what I was raised with, that everything is just bad <laughs> inside mm -hmm. of me, um, it's been a really wonderful and freeing experience to reconnect to the wisdom of my body and to, f to find the divine within that um, has been a powerful part of, the, part of my journey um, with the Enneagram. Can you tell me more about that? What is it like to experience divine presence within your body? Yeah. Um, I think now that I'm like putting words to it um, mm -hmm. in recent years, I realized that it's always been there, but I was taught to distrust it or distrust my body in general, but you know, to distrust it. And so um, for me, a lot of what that looks like is <laughs> also really hard to put into words, but, um, because it's more of like a deep knowing, um, and I'm trying to figure out how to say it in language that doesn't just sound like <laughs> woo woo and frilly, um, because it does feel really real to me. But, um, when I, I'll give you an example of. This is um, imagery that was given to me by, um, I was at an Enneagram training, we were doing some coaching training and my, uh, the person I was partnered with as coach, and we were working through what I brought as my mm -hmm. coaching question for this practice exercise. And they gave me this, this image that has since stayed with me and has kind of become a sort of spiritual practice for me, um, both with Enneagram type, but I also think of it as like reconnecting to the divine. And um, I don't know, I'm just going to say briefly, um, just because I don't know if people, how much people know about the different types, but one of the core beliefs um, with the four type structure is that I am disconnected from uh, love, belonging, also from like source, um, which as I was raised, um, that was, you know, God, that I am inherently flawed and unworthy, um, that there was, there was, you know, connection is what it should be. There's like this deep knowing that like connectedness is um, the goal, is the ultimate, is the ideal. 
um, but all I feel is disconnection and that somehow that disconnection must be born from me. I must be, I must have done or I might just be wrong in some way that creates this distance and disconnection. Um, and so there's this deep core fear of abandonment, of further disconnection. And um, so there's this like seeing yourself as solitary, you know, there's like everybody else is connected or worthy of connection. And then somehow I'm on the outside of that circle of belonging, trying to figure out how I can earn my way into it. And in the imagery that this person gifted me was um, I was talking about not even really this, just something else related to a coaching question. And, and he said, you know, I have this picture of you as a redwood tree um, in a forest, which immediately made me smile because I love the redwoods. And, um, and the image was, you know, when you're in the redwoods, it's kind of like one whole system, it's kind of like being, you know, in an aspen grove in Colorado, which is where I live. You see all of these like hundreds of trees but what blows my mind every time is that that is one organism. That's not actually 300 trees. It's one giant system. Um, and that idea of, in this exercise, he made me stand up and like really embody the feeling of being like a, a redwood tree. And what uh, struck me was that when I did that, um, it was I, I could feel, I was imagining my roots and I was imagining them interconnected with all the other trees around me. And I could legitimately feel energy in my feet as I was doing that. Mm. And it helped me feel so grounded. Like, I think I got a little teary because I was like, I don't, I'm not alone. I'm connected to everything and everyone else. Um, I am not isolated. And so I use that still as a practice of um, when I need to find the ground again. And for me, I think of the ground as the divine. That is what holds me. Um, so when I have lost the ground and I'm floating up trying to earn and prove my worthiness and um, search for belonging through creating an image, I imagine my feet on the ground as roots. And I just pay attention to the sensation of reconnecting, like remembering that I do not stand alone in this forest, I'm connected to everything else. And there is ground that holds and supports all of us. Um, and that's one of the ways, like that's like a physical practice for me. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm going into, for example, teaching um, at a workshop or something and can find myself going up into the, oh my gosh, I have to make sure that I am seen this certain way and will I sound smart enough? Do I know enough? All of that stuff. I just pause and breathe and picture myself, you know, put my feet on the floor and picture myself as a redwood tree and reconnect to that sensation of um, my roots intertwined with everyone else. So there's absolutely nothing I could do to extricate myself from that um, without destroying the whole system because we are all a part of the system. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one of the ways um, but I also think like in pausing and listening to the wisdom in my belly, a lot of times it feels like a reconnection to, it feels like the, um, like wisdom, like wisdom from the divine, not just like I can, the way I, I can distinguish a lot of the times is I've kind of gotten used to what my head tells me 
and and also then what my heart tells me which is usually um usually fits more into the ego structure of wanting to be seen a certain way even though i can create really pretty language around it and make it sound like really mature and really wise it's still coming from this like um tight-fisted i have to be seen this way in order to be loved and there's a certain expansiveness and freedom um, and coolness that doesn't feel like the heat and the intensity of me trying so hard there's just kind of this it feels like again this is another <laughs> uh, another uh, image but internally with my type structure when i'm up in my heart space trying to gain love through an image um, it feels like i am trying to claw my way out of my throat like it's tight mm -hmm. it's hot um, i'm holding on and like trying to claw my way out and like you know to get to the top and say does anyone see me does anyone know that i'm here does anyone care do i have you know do i have significance because you see me and validate me um and when i drop into my belly center really the fear for so long before I, I came in contact with the Enneagram and had language for this, the fear for so long was that if I let go of that striving, of that clawing my way to be seen, then I just fall into nothingness. I have no significance. There's nothing at the bottom to catch me. I'll just fall and it'd be like I was never here. And mm -hmm. that's terrifying. In the, in the somatic practice of allowing myself see the first time allowing myself to see what would it be like if I stopped what would happen would I really fall into nothingness and what I discovered was when I let go I did fall but there was ground and it felt like just cool gray concrete which mm -hmm. at first for a four <laughs> I was like well why couldn't this be like a meadow with rich soil and grass and flowers yeah it's so um, boring so ordinary it's so boring <laughs> yes which one of my teachers when i was telling her this she was like and that's how i know that that was a real experience for you because that is what you need um, but it really did feel like just cool gray concrete and expansive is the only word that I that has stuck with me to describe it where you know up in the trying to claw my way through it was just so tight and constricted um, barely any space to move down at the ground it's like oh this goes on forever and mm -hmm. I don't just disappear into nothing there's so much more to to explore down here um, there's so much more life down here um, and freedom to move and so in that ground space in that cool gray concrete expansiveness um, is a lot of times where i feel most connected to the divine i hear in that chi chi how interwoven the somatic and spiritual pieces are you know that that there's not separation between our bodies and our spirit yeah because we i mean i at least i have come to um learn more and more through my own process while i was taught that those things are very separate and one is good and one is bad body is bad spirituality as processed through 
cognition is good, you know, like, but not as like experienced within the body. And the more that I explore that and learn about that, the more I'm like, I don't think that's true. I think that um, I, for a lot of my life, I was raised to think about the divine. And a lot of what this work in particular with the Enneagram has helped me realize is that I can experience the divine also, but not just externally, not just mm -hmm. in like, you know, I was raised going to church. So like not just in church settings, not just when there's somebody outside of me or something outside of me, but within myself that as I lean further into accepting and allowing my humanity, I also discover my divinity because we are both. Um, and that's been like fascinating to my brain, <laughs> but also mm -hmm. fascinating to experience given like so long believing the opposite or being taught the opposite. And how, how would you describe the divine now? What have you learned of who the divine is? Mm, that's a great question. My first answer is I don't know. Because <laughs> mm. um, I really don't. I think it's um, Richard Rohr who says, like, all talk about God is metaphor. Yeah. Um, so we don't know. And I really don't. And I feel more and more okay with the not knowing. Um, but my experience of the divine is expansive and supportive and not far off, but kind of like, I like to think about, um, I have a slight, uh, like I said earlier, I'm a very curious person. Um, so I like to explore different, different things at different times. And for a while I was a little obsessed with like, astrophysics and things like that and sometimes I think about dark matter and how we just don't understand it and scientists don't understand it and I like to think of the divine as dark matter it's the thing that's all around us all the time and that holds everything together um, but we don't necessarily see it and we can't understand it and we can't quantify it um, we can't explain it it is just the force that holds everything together and I think that all of that is held together with love. Um, and so if I had to pick like a word, I would say that I see and understand the divine as expansive love. But I am still in the process of breaking down and unlearning all the things I was, or a lot of the things I was taught about who the divine is um, and being open to exploring and experiencing um, a more expansive um, experiential understanding of the divine. And in that too, like, I think one of the shifts for me has been that I was raised to believe the divine only exists within one construct of theology, of belief systems, and therefore with like certain people. And what has felt really, really both freeing and magnificent is trying to live in such a way that looks for the divine wherever I am, mm. as opposed to like, God only exists in these places and with these people who believe these certain things. Where's the divine right now? Um, with this person in this place and this experience, um, 
if I really believe that the divine is everywhere and it's the force that holds everything together, then how do I walk around looking for and seeing God everywhere as opposed to um, only thinking that God exists in certain places and needing to only be in those places in order to experience God? Yes. Yes to the divine being expansive love. And I'm, I'm struck by the freedom of that curiosity, the curiosity of where is God in this moment? Where is the holy in this moment? If I believe that the divine is what is holding it all together, then where can I see it within this moment? You know, that move from certainty to curiosity Yes. Oh, yes. Curiosity over certainty Um, and the willingness to live in the ambiguity and not have the answers. Um, I really think that it's so much of, I don't want to speak to, I know I can't speak to anyone else's experience of different faith traditions, but being raised as a Christian in the church and then in this process of unlearning that I've been in for the last few years, I think I see so, so clearly now on the outside of it, how much of what I was taught was informed by fear, even though it was spoken with the, it was talked about in the language of love, um, which makes me think again of <laughs> Enneagram types and how we, we like to think that we are motivated by the things we desire, but really it's the fear and just seeing how much of fear is what drives us to want and think that we absolutely need certainty. I need to know all the answers. I need to know all the correct answers because of the fear of being wrong and what being wrong means. But how like moving towards curiosity and being able to hold the ambiguity and the not knowing actually leads us to deeper wisdom and more love than the fear-based needing to know. I'd like to close by circling back to back to your image of the redwood and, and the gift of that image, that gift of the image of your roots being so intertwined. And mm. think about how the, the Enneagram helped you to see that without the Enneagram, you hadn't named that core fear of, of disconnection and, and unbelonging. And that you first needed to name the fear and then to be graced with that image of you can't be disconnected even if you try. <laughs> that your roots are so are so deeply intertwined is it's so beautiful and I hear how healing the gift of that is and makes me think that that right there is the reason to to engage with the Enneagram, right? To be able to find mm. the, the healing that, you, that we might not have even known that we needed. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think that it's such a gift, too, because I don't know... Actually, I do think I might have been able to name before the Enneagram mm-hmm. a deep fear of abandonment and disconnection only because 
I have, you know, like I have the typical story of like an absent dad. And so I could have probably named that, mm-hmm. but for a lot of people that I work with, with the Enneagram, it is like the first time that they are able to name that fear, you know, like mm-hmm. for example, when I work with a lot of nines and it's using the language of the Enneagram is the first time that they're able to name that like, oh, wow, this is not just my desire to keep things like peaceful and harmonious. I am deeply terrified of separation because who am I if not in relationship with? And being able to name that, you know, it's really, it's really like um, wonderful to watch that process with people too. Like, I mean, do my own work, but to watch that process with people, um, you know, where I have people say like, I am now so much more, I'm seeing how this fear of separation shows up all of the time in my relationships, in my work. And I'm practicing being present with it and leaning into it as opposed to being so afraid of it that I never look it in the face, Mm -hmm. um, which then allows us to be more present with who we really are versus who we think we need to be. Um, And so for me, that, that gift of naming the fear of abandonment and, and, you know, like abandonment born of, born from like unworthiness and deficiency. And then having that image of the redwoods where it reminds me that I don't actually need to be all sufficient. I, it is, I'm okay. In fact, to some degree, my deficiency is kind of necessary for the whole system to work it is not my responsibility to support to maintain to be sufficient for the entire system and network of trees i am just my only job is to be myself my one tree in connection to everyone else and trust that we all will we all are held and we all will thrive in that connection it's I think for me, it's, it's helped me lean into all of the avoidances of the four, which is, you know, of being boring, of being ordinary, or really of being seen as boring and ordinary and inadequate and deficient. And a lot of my work has been allowing myself to be boring and inadequate and deficient and seeing how that does nothing to remove me from my spot in the forest that I am all of those things and still deeply connected and still loved and worthy. So it takes away from, you know, it becomes less scary and becomes more, like I was saying at the beginning, I become more human because I can hold both things. I am unique, I am authentic, and I am so boring (laughs) and inadequate and deficient. And I am deeply human and still deeply loved. Thank you. Gigi, where would you recommend if if people are listening and they're thinking, well, this all sounds amazing, but I don't know where to even begin with the Enneagram. What would you recommend? Yeah. Um, so the website for the Narrative Enneagram where I was trained um, is enneagramworldwide.com. And there are lots of resources on there. You can read about the types. You can watch some videos. Um, there are books you can purchase. Um, 
and they also have a directory on there for narrative narrative Enneagram teachers um, around the country slash globe. Um, so I would say that's a great resource. Mm-hmm. As far as there's so many good books. Um, my favorite book, which perhaps is not, would not be, I wouldn't say like this is the first one you should read. Um, maybe like starting with like Understanding the Enneagram by Helen Palmer or Understanding Yourself, maybe. Understanding the Enneagram <laughs> um, by Helen Palmer is a great one. Also on the, the Narrative Enneagram website, they have the Narrative Test, which is just, um, it's $10 and it's um, a self-observation test where you kind of read mm-hmm. the paragraphs and kind of sit with um, which one of these feels most true to me over the course of my life. And then you do the work of exploring, like say there are two or three top ones then you focus on those and really read and explore those ones and see mm-hmm. which of these actually resonates um, throughout the course of my life. Um, so I'd say that, that those are really good resources to start with and um, get further connected that way. Thank you. And yeah. are, you, are you taking new clients? Or oh, yes. <laughs> okay. I suppose I am also a resource. So um, if you are interested in doing uh, a narrative typing interview to figure out what type you are and explore what that means, um, I, do th- I do those with people. And so you can find more information about that on my website at um, thinspaceco.com. And um, you can like book a session that way. We can do it, you know, distance. So via Zoom. So I would be happy to help people explore what type structure might be home base. Thank you. And I'll share, that's how uh, Chi Chi and I connected. I did a type discovery session with her and it was so helpful and very healing for me. Um, I had been mistyped by a quote unquote Enneagram expert um, after a five minute conversation years before and it it really turned me off of the Enneagram and you'd be like well this is clearly not for me and having connecting with Chiki and having you Chiki take the time that you did to just really listen to me and not come at me with the answers but to take time to hear my story and explore together it opened up the Enneagram for me in a way that it had been closed for years Hmm. I'm very grateful. Wow. Thank you for saying that. Listeners, thank you for exploring with us today. Uh, as Chi Chi mentioned, you can learn more about her and her work at her website. And there are also links to the resources that she mentioned in our show notes. I hope that today's conversation inspires you to play with spiritual practices in your life and maybe to dive, to take a dive into the Enneagram myself. If you do, I'd love to hear about it. You can reach me via my website, laurenburdett.com. If you enjoyed the conversation, please share it with a friend and continue it within your own meeting. And finally, our music is from the album Solace by the band This Side of Me. You can find this song and all of their music at thissideofme.bandcamp.com. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new conversation. Thanks again.